You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Jake, my uh, history covering the Colts, I don't recall this happening very often, if at all. But yesterday, Jeff Saturday confirmed that a member of their coaching staff, Clayton Adams, coached the tight end group, has left the organization to go take the offensive line coaching position for the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, Adams has some ties to the Bay Area. I think Sacramento is where he's from. So, you know, makes sense from a family standpoint. But I think bigger picture, it's just a reminder of how everyone on that coaching staff probably feels right now. Got to go for the sure thing. There's no guarantee I'm here next year. Yep. And if it's a college job, if it's a different type of pay, um, that doesn't matter. I've got to go somewhere where I know I'm guaranteed to get a spot. And that's what Clayton Adams did yesterday in going to Stanford. So no Frank Reich, no Marcus Brady, no Clayton Adams. Jeff said yesterday that Kevin Mawai, the assistant O-line coach, will now help with more of the blocking side of the tight end group. Reggie Wayne, obviously the wideout coach, will be a little bit more with the receiving part of the tight end position. But again, it's just another reminder of there is so much uncertainty to what's going to happen on January 9th, that first Monday after your final game with Houston on what happens. And if you're a coach, even if Jeff Saturday is retained, there's no guarantee any of these assistants will be around. you got to think Jeff Saturday has a list of guys that he wants. Does it feel to you at all like... I'm not saying it is, but I'm saying does it feel this way? Does it feel at all, somewhat inevitably and understandably, but just like it's kind of dysfunctional and there's just a lot of people like... Yeah. Kind of every man for themselves type deal? Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and Jake, I'd probably say the same thing for any organization that is... facing questions at, again, those pillar positions within your franchise, but even more so when you've made such an interesting interim move and, I don't know, does the the, the coaching staff in Carolina feel the same uncertainty or the fact that Steve Wilkes and the Panthers have seemingly steadied the ship big time and could make the playoffs, does that interim staff feel a little bit different than the Colts staff? I would think they do. Um, And I guess that's kind of the root of the Saturday question of, you know, Jim Mercer was very adamant, Jake, that the Colts were not tanking upon hiring Jeff Saturday. I believe he said something to the effect of, we're in this thing. 9-7-1 and one gets us in the dance. So given the fact that he said that publicly, don't we have to evaluate Saturday at some level on wins and losses? Yeah. I mean, I, yes, this was not... Jeff Saturday is going to win you over in every team meeting, in in, in every press conference. At some point, albeit he was thrown into a difficult situation, I totally acknowledge that, don't we have to evaluate him on that win-loss record? Do you feel like they have played better under him? Do they seem more focused? Do they seem sharper? Do they seem... Definitely have have gotten off the better starts. There's no debating that. They've gotten off the better starts. Uh, I think the O-line play has improved slightly. Outside of that... It's pretty same old, same old to me. They still struggle late in games. They can't score. And they're one and three with them. Do you believe that regardless legitimate question, so I'm not trying to, to, to lead your answer here, legitimate question. Do you, Kevin Bowen, believe that regardless 
of in uh, of outcome this year that Jeff Saturday's potential to be the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts next year would be unaffected. In other words, do you believe that he is just as viable a candidate to be hired by Jim Irsay for next season if they lose out versus if they win out? Yeah, that's that's a debate that I have. I mean, win out, yeah. I mean, Irsay would hire him on the spot. He'd right. probably, she'd probably try and carry him off the field at Lucas Oil Stadium, which would be a sight to see. Um, maybe he could do, you know, golf cart ride out and then do the video in the little entry pavilion. Uh, maybe get a jet engine in there, some sort of sound. The dog, would the, the dog be there? Yeah, Drake would be there, yeah. certainly. Drake the dog. Um, you know, question I threw, uh, yes, to, to your point, I, I do think record matters. Um, you know, I asked Saturday yesterday, is this something you want to do next year? Which I felt kind of stupid asking that question because, again, like, I don't think the Carolina media is asking Steve Wilkes that question. Did he answer the question as if it was stupid? No. No. He, I mean, well, I, I don't think he answers any question, you know, in a demeaning manner. Right. Yeah. Anything like that. Uh, he was very adamant that, like, I'm, I'm energized. Am I a little disappointed with how we've played? Yes. But I have a vision for the future. And as long as they want to interview me, I want to be in the interview process. So I think that's a question we have on the Saturday front that just needs to be answered. And we'll see. I don't know. Does a, a month from now, does his answer shift at all? The audio clip I want to play, Mark, cue up that Matt Ryan clip from yesterday. Um, you know, I think you are facing a question with Matt Ryan of like, does he want to play past this season? Again, I think he should be benched. I think he's looked old. I think he's struggled mightily. I don't think the Colts should bring him back, albeit the financial implications are pretty significant. Um, And Matt Ryan made it very clear back in the spring that uh, I want to play as long as I can. My body feels really good. You know, I still feel like I can play at as high a level as ever. And his play this year would certainly indicate otherwise. Here was Matt Ryan yesterday on if any thought has crept into his mind about next season. You know, I've always tried to just handle the, the day, you know, that's in front of you. And uh, particularly during the season, you know, it's it's one of those things that, you know, after the season, certainly as you get older, those, those are always discussions, you know, that, that you have to have and, and that you go through. But, you know, during the year, I think you, you try and, you know, make sure Wednesday is the best Wednesday it can be, or in today's case, Tuesday, you know, is the best Tuesday it can be. And so I don't go much further than that. Jake, yeah, that, that sounds like a dude that's checked out. That tone is far different than where he was in the spring. That is a dude that's like, hell no. I got no interest in being here, man. And I bring up his health because he's missed two games this year due to injury. He's been hit the most of his NFL career through whatever, 14 games. That is a far cry from what he was expecting coming into this season. And again, it's a far cry from his career. You know, if you look at his past, I think entering this season, you look at the previous 12 years, I think he'd missed one game due to injury. So, uh, this sounds harsh, but Jake, it would be a great scenario for the Colts if Matt Ryan decided to retire. Great news for the Colts. You know what's, because this is a possibility, what I'm about to say. It's possible that Matt Ryan returns. I'm not saying it's probable, it's possible. It's possible that Jim Mercer falls in love with Jeff Saturday and hires him as the full-time coach. It's not probable, but it's possible. If that's the case, then that would mean that Chris Ballard is in what year as the general manager next season, Kevin? Would that be year six or seven? Seven, yeah. 2017 was the So that would year. mean that, that Chris Ballard would be 
seven years in as a general manager of a National Football League team without having hired any of the three head coaches that worked underneath him or drafting a quarterback that was a primary starter. How sweet a gig is that? Like, how sweet a gig is that? You're a morning radio show host, but you never have to actually get up for the first hour, and you're only going to have to do things live like twice a week. Okay. (laughs) I I, I mean, the two biggest responsibilities, and and they're not easy responsibilities. Don't get me wrong. I, I mean, but the two biggest tests of a general manager that most face are hiring a coach or drafting a quarterback. And what a gig, man. What a gig. Uh, Josh thinks the Colts Matt, uh, ruined Matt Ryan. Is that right, Mark? That's correct. Josh, good morning. Hey, guys. How you doing today? Doing good. How about yourself? Not bad. Um, I just feel like we sold Matt Ryan a bunch of lies. You know, we were supposed to have this wonderful offensive line that we've seen has been terrible. Um, I mean, the poor guy was getting just, just rocked every game. He looks like a dog that's been beat too many times at this point. Yeah. Uh, they didn't give him any help at receiver. They could have picked up Julio Jones, who we know was his safety blanket. They could have picked him up cheap. I'm not saying that he's a, a great receiver at this point, but once you have that rapport with somebody, and we saw it with Gronk and Brady. But I, I, do they not feel any responsibility for what they've done to this man? He was He's a uh, Hall of Famer. Yeah. And, and I, now... No, he's not. I feel like we ruined him. Josh, I think we appreciate the call. I think we could debate the Hall of Fame aspect, but we don't need to do that today. Um, The Colts did not support Matt Ryan. That is 1,000% true to Josh's point. He's spot on with that. At the same time, I I don't think Matt Ryan has carried his weight because at some level, Jake, you pay that quarterback an absurd amount of money because he's supposed to lift the ship when needed. And... He has not done that either. So I think both are true. Again, I think what's going to be fun if he doesn't come back is to find out who the next 38-year-old is that we're expecting to lift weights considering the fact that we're asking him to lift a level that they haven't actually seen in the weight room in like five years. You know? I mean, who's next? Jared Goff. If you're Detroit, don't you stick with Jared Goff? I mean, what's Joe Flacco doing? Has he got a year left in him? Let's bring him in the hell where's Mitchell Trubisky let's give him a call we missed on him last time he's handed the keys over to Pickett's little hands let's get him in here I, you know Matt Ryan turns 38 next year 15 seasons in the NFL again I know it probably sounds a little bit too harsh but it would be great news for the Colts if he decided to if retire. I'm Matt Ryan I'm like why would I go back right well there's some nice money on the table well that's true but hey, does he need money at this point and again, he has been beat up this season. To I mean, Josh had a very graphic explanation for that, um, but it is true. I mean, he has been beat up a lot more than he has really throughout his NFL career. Uh, we'll continue this conversation coming up. Stephen Holder joins us next. Again, Matt McKillop at 8.30. That's the Davidson head basketball coach. Uh, Purdue's got Davidson over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse coming up. Their first game for Purdue is ranked number one in the nation this season. Chris Denary in the 9 o'clock hour. We'll learn a little bit more about Ryan Walters coming up in the 9 o'clock hour as well. It is a dreary start to this Wednesday morning. Some rain was falling on our commute in. So, as Karen Query would want to inform, watch out for the wet leaves on this Wednesday morning. 8 o'clock hour is underway. 
Jake Quarry along with Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton has finished his 12th cereal bar this morning and is here with us as well. He has dialed up for us on the Payless Sugars Hotline, our friend from ESPN.com, Stephen Holder, who covers the Indianapolis Colts. Stephen, I'm going to get right to this with you. Uh, one of your colleagues at ESPN had a, a mock draft. I'm not sure if it was – I'm not sure who it was that wrote it, actually. But had the Colts drafting seventh. That obviously is fluid. But with it, had the Colts taking an offensive lineman out of Northwestern, who I know is a dynamic – foreseen to be a dyna- dynamic player. But uh, do you really see a possibility if the Colts are drafting inside of the top ten that they once again bypass quarterback? Well, I, I think – I saw that mock draft. I think that scenario that was presented there had, I believe, the top three quarterbacks uh, off the board already. Uh, Will Levis, I think, being uh, maybe the sixth overall pick, I think, in in that scenario. Uh, I think it was Todd McShay, if I'm not mistaken. And so I think under that scenario, it becomes tricky. And this this is one of those scenarios that we will dig further into you know, as we get closer, because these are going to be the realities, I think, that that, the, that they'll have to face is, you know, what happens if those those top two quarterbacks we think are going to go, you know, somewhere in the top five, right? And then it becomes a question of where does the next quarterback go? Um, you know, if, in fact, it, it becomes a, a group of three at the very top of the draft, which is where we think it is right now. It's very, very early. Okay, let's be clear. And, and a lot of these projections change drastically from December to, like, you know, March and April. But I do think that's a possible, you know, a possible outcome that the Colts are going to have to face. You know, if, if the top quarterbacks are gone, what do they do and if they're not high enough in the draft? And their, their position could also change, right? So that's the other, that's the other factor here. So I don't... I don't think it's a matter under that scenario of bypassing quarterback. I think it's more a matter of the quarterbacks that are worthy of being taken in that at that level being gone, and then what do they do? And that's a very real problem. And that's why you know this draft is not necessarily going to be one that solves all their problems. And that's that's something that I I've kind of tried to convey to fans. I don't think we can assume that. You know, I just don't think we can assume this draft is going to solve all of their problems, you know, because they're not going to have, you know, a top two or three pick. And then you never know where that leaves you. Yeah, and if you look you know, into the third round, that Washington pick is going to be a lot deeper into the third round than you were hoping compared to yeah. where your uh, third round pick would have been. Again, Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com. On the quarterback front, Stephen, um, you know, I, I felt like the Matt Ryan tone was a little bit different yesterday in answering the question about the thought of 2023 and playing out his contract versus where it was in the spring. And maybe that shouldn't be a surprise. I mean, he's been beat up this year, and it's a season that he definitely wasn't expecting. Have you gotten any sense or any impression that he might hang it up? I haven't, no. Not specifically. I mean, I think there's the obvious, right, which is how he's playing and and his, his standing with the team in the long term, which can't be great. <laughs> you know, certainly they, they have some decisions to make at quarterback. But, no, I, I haven't gotten that impression. I, honestly, I think the reality with Matt Ryan, I think if, if he's a businessman and, and he's played long enough that I think that he is, 
Uh, the reality is that if he's smart, he's just going to wait it out and let the Colts make the decision for him. And, and the reason I say that is because if he if he retires, I, I believe he would have to forego uh, some of that guaranteed money that he's owed. I, I believe the um, the seven million dollar bonus. I believe it's seven million, and I, I think there's some other sum of money that may or may not be forfeited as well if he retires. I have to confirm. Yeah, I think that, it's but. like a ten million bonus. I want to say that is maybe roster bonus and then the seven yeah. millions is salary bonus so yeah 17 total right so i mean he I, that money's guaranteed but i if i understand it correctly it's guaranteed if he's on the roster at a certain date yeah come march and so right so um and, and if they cut him i think they still owe that money if if i'm not mistaken i i, I should have confirmed a lot more of this before we had this conversation but the point is i'm pretty certain that money uh that money's owed to him if he's cut because i think that that trigger has already come in terms of the guarantee um for the colts the decisions on them i think if, if you're matt ryan you want them to make the decisions what i'm saying i mean uh, at minimum even if the roster bonus doesn't come i think the, if the roster bonus doesn't get paid there's still guarantees uh in the salary that he would be owed so yeah just from a business perspective you you gotta wait on them if you're if you're matt ryan i know he's made plenty of money and he's he's just fine and and he's not gonna miss that money but it's it's yours right so uh, i think that's that's how i would play it i'm sure that's how his agent will tell him to play it and then there's also a separate matter which is what you're really getting at in, in terms of you know what does he want to do and I still think he's that competitor that he's always been, but this season has taken a lot out of Matt Ryan. There's no doubt about that. And maybe that's what you're kind of hearing. You know, maybe that's what you're picking up on. And I imagine he's kind of processing a lot, you know, that's happened this year. Steven, I'm going to ask a broken record question, and I apologize for asking a broken record question. (laughs) But, and I don't know that any of us know definitively. So I want your take on it. Between Chris Ballard, Jim Mersey, Jeff Saturday, I'll throw Matt Ryan in the hopper because quarterback's the most important position in sports. Do you feel like everybody in terms of the direction, the goal in mind, the vision for the remainder of this season, is everyone within the Colts boardroom on the same page? Um, I think so. I think so. Um I mean, for for one, I mean, I, t- I can tell you that Chris Ballard, for example, and I I talked to someone recently who who would know, and he has been beside himself, you know, in terms of you know having to deal with losses. And uh, look, let me tell you, Chris Ballard sat within earshot of me and the other uh, Indianapolis writers uh, during the Dallas game. Okay. And if you think this guy wants to lose, then I, I, I would give you my seat for like five minutes in that press box, and you would come away with a much different tone. Let me tell you, I'll leave it at that. I won't, you know, I won't get into particulars. But listen, that guy was miserable. Okay, so he wants to win. There's no question about that, and he just can't stomach losing. Jim Mersey, I think parts of Jim Mersey understand the business of football. 
for sure, right? I mean, he's on this team for a long time. Uh, but Jim Mersey is the biggest fan of all, okay? He's the biggest fan of all and hates to lose. So, I, you know, and then there's Jeff Saturday who he has no clue if he's going to be here next year. He could care less, couldn't care less. Uh, I caught myself, see? There you go. I almost said should of, that, right? That's a pet peeve of mine. Um, he couldn't care less about draft position. It's probably not even going to be his problem. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, I think if, if you're talking about, if that's what you're getting at, right, when you say are the goals aligned, if you're talking about, you know, whether they're actually trying to win or whether there's any active tanking involved, there may be some passive tanking, I don't know. But, no, there's there's not. They're, they're trying to win, and I think there's just a lot of pride involved for everybody, on, everybody involved right now. So, they're trying to win. They're just... Not doing a good job of it. Steve, Stephen Holder with us from ESPN.com. Stephen, Jeff Saturday, I thought I had you know, a good amount of conviction yesterday behind the answer on if he wants yeah. to coach uh, full-time. You know, It almost seems like that is a question that has to be asked. I mean, this is new to Jeff Saturday. It's a you know totally kind of foreign experience from what he was used to or what he was previously doing. Um, any surprise at all about just how much conviction he had and how adamant he was of, yes, I want to interview for this full-time gig? Well, first of all, I mean, you you ripped the Band-Aid off pretty good there, and I, I'm glad you did because by asking that question, because I, I'm not going to lie. I mean, I was kind of wondering, and, and I think the, the question for us was kind of like, all right, when do we go there? And maybe after a 25-point loss to Dallas is a good time to do it. So Yeah, I was thinking a little more post-bye week, but yeah. <laughs> No, no, that's fine. That's fine. So, yeah, I thought his answer, number one, I appreciate the direct answer because I thought he could have tiptoed around it, right? He could have just been like, ah, you know, I'm just focused on today. All right, I got to talk with my family at the end of the season, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, because normally that's the answer you get on those situations. <laughs> to just credit, and this is this is very helpful if you're if you're a sports writer, you, you want a direct answer, and we got one. I thought his, his answer was not stunning, but I thought surprisingly and refreshingly honest. Um, he... You know, I, I thought that when he came into this, you know, he said he wanted to do this long term, but I, I don't know if I fully believed it because I thought it was just kind of a, it was like an experiment for him. You know what I'm saying? It's like, ah, Jim Mercer asked, I said, ah, what the heck? <laughs> you know, I, I, part of me wondered if, if, if this wasn't deep down inside like an experiment for just Saturday, you know what I'm saying? And I thought he put that to rest. By, by giving the answer that he did. He's like, hey, I'm here. I want to do this. I have, he was very specific when he said, I have a vision for what this could look like in the future. He didn't get into what that is, but but that tells me he's thinking about, you know, what he would do if he is the coach in the long term. So I like this answer. Um, I, I would probably go a different direction, but I mean, certainly some of the shine has been lost. Right, these this past month, but but I love I love the direct answer, Stephen. I can't even believe I'm about to ask this. Oh boy, let me is, put my seatbelt on. That's right. Is Jacksonville going to sneak in and make things interesting down the home stretch of the AFC South? <laughs> I don't know, but I'm here for it. <laughs> uh, I don't know what's up. First of all, the Titans are are a mess. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, this is, I haven't seen Jacksonville play a lot in recent weeks, but, but this is kind of what I, I thought was possible. 
because Doug Peterson's a good coach. And it's not like they're completely devoid of talent. I mean, they've had multiple number one overall picks, <laughs> okay? And so, and, and one of them is their quarterback who's starting to, you know, perform better, right? And, and starting to look like a little more like the guy we thought he could be, functional. And I think their defense, it's not very consistent, but it's, it's talented in spots. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if the door remains open, who knows, man? I, I tell you that, and I think there's, there's a lesson here if you're a Colts fan. I haven't answered your question directly, but I, I don't know the answer, but I, 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 would, I think it would, be, it would certainly be very interesting, right? But the lesson here for the Colts fans, if you are one, is that the, the, the years ahead, okay, the years to come, could be very different, man. I mean, they're they're in a tough spot here if they don't fix this quarterback situation, and and then the the other variable is that you know some of their better players, you know, they're in their prime. They're going to be coming out of their prime, you know, before you know it, right? So where are the Colts in the long term in this whole mix, you know? And then you have Houston over here who's going to get their quarterback of the future. Maybe they get it right this time, right? Who knows? And, and who knows what that means for their franchise. So the AFC South is not a great division right now and, and doesn't look good. Nothing looks the, good in the AFC South right with now. With all the teams in the AFC back. South getting, you know, they're all stuck in this quicksand of suck, right? And Jacksonville looks yeah. like they're they're kind of maybe getting their ankle free. But does that cause Jim Mersey to look at it and say, hell yeah, we're still in this thing? Or does it cause Jim Mersey to pound the table harder and say, it is absurd that we're not in this hunt? <laughs> Probably the latter right now, because the reason I say that is because even if they're mathematically alive, I mean, what are you hanging your hat on, right? At some point, you gotta, you can't just be mathematically alive. You have to show a pulse, right? You have to show that that you're you're capable of taking advantage of that window being open. Uh, the window's open, and they're just sitting there looking at the window. <laughs> they're not actually climbing through it in any form or fashion. So. I mean, if it's me, my reaction would be, man, what a blown opportunity, <laughs> you know? And as you said, I mean, they're, they're varying degrees of suck in division right now, and the Colts are sucking to a very high degree. Yeah, no question about that. Colts would be eliminated in any other division in the AFC right now, but the AFC South yeah. just offers that nice you know, sliver of hope here. Um, T.Y. Hilton, Stephen, joining Dallas. Can Stephen Holder, ESPN.com with us. Do you think the Colts were ever close at all with T.Y. Hilton this offseason? We know Jim Mercer kind of sweetened the pot in 2021 um, to bring T.Y. Hilton back, but do you think there was ever any serious talks with him? Okay, so... I actually have some information on this. Uh, my understanding in the last couple of days, in fact, was that they were closer than you think to making it happen back in, I don't know, maybe training camp, I guess. Um, there was, it was a serious conversation, and it almost happened. Uh, they couldn't come to terms, is my understanding. So this would have been for the start to- of the season. He would have played you know, yes. week one. Not Got recently. It. Not recently, yeah. This, was, this would have been back, I believe, in August. Is my understanding that that's how I interpreted what I was told. So certainly not in recent weeks or months. This was this was before the regular season. Okay, so they were definitely talking. I mean, we knew they were talking. I mean, Chris Ballard told us they had been in contact throughout the off season, Uh, but in the end, 
uh, they just couldn't come to terms on the money and just couldn't get it done. And, and I, I don't know what, I don't know what the numbers were. I'm not even going to speculate. I have no idea, but that's what it was. And that doesn't stun me because I'll tell you why I think for, for the Colts, it was kind of, uh, I don't want to say luxury, you know, because I think they could have definitely used him, but I, but I don't think they saw it as urgent on their behalf. So, uh, the offer likely reflected that, you know, whatever it was. Again, I don't know the numbers, but I think whatever it was reflected, you know, the the Colts' um, opinion of of how necessary it was to have T. Y. Hilton on their roster. And so, I mean, if you're T. Y. from his perspective, you know, you're thinking, okay, well, I've I've earned some respect from this team, and I, I want a certain number, right? And and also. If if you're a veteran of of his age who has made a lot of money, you know it's got to be worth it to you. You know, so I have no idea what the money ended up being in Dallas. It's not going to be a lot, right? It's, it's December, but I think that's less about money and more about opportunity, chase a ring, etc. Uh, unique opportunity for a guy who who's you know not won a lot of tangible rewards in his career. So, Stephen, based on the fact that seemingly the Colts did not go out and I'm going off memory here, so correct me if I'm wrong, but in that time period, it's not like they went out and signed a veteran receiver, right? Right. So would that have been basically the pursuit of T.Y. Hilton, would that have been almost like a a ceremonial signing? In other words, it's not like because they didn't come to terms with him, they went elsewhere and that was a need that they felt they had to address and he right. just happened to be the guy, right? Is that a fair statement? That that is true. Yes, I mean I think it was it was a couple of things. They were comfortable with him. Uh, he would he would certainly give them a leadership role in a very young unit. There's no question about that. Uh, he also, um, you know, I think there was uh, just uh, there was maybe some element of of you know ceremonial to some extent, right? Just because you know, look, he's almost at ten thousand yards and. You know that's a big milestone. I mean, I think that's all of it is 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 the reason why, right? I don't think there's any single reason, and then just the obvious too, right? They were very young in that room, and I think there were a lot of questions coming into the season. I'll give Chris Ballard some credit. I don't have a huge problem with the wide receivers. I think they've done fine. I think their bigger problem has been at quarterback and offensive line and the collective performance there. The wide receivers, I I don't think they're the issue. So I, I think they they got one they got one thing right in terms of the areas where they where they took some leaps they took a lot of leaps like left tackle and so forth but that leap that they took I think it worked out fine but we didn't know that at the time and this is the day you know so so I think that was kind of where their thinking was off to Minnesota this weekend again it's a one o'clock tip come or one o'clock tip one o'clock kick coming up. This Saturday, NFL Network, I think locally, Fox 59, along with, obviously, on these airwaves. Steven, safe travels here. Safe travels to New York coming up around the new year. And uh, thanks, as always. All right, guys. Happy holidays. A lot of Davidson Wildcats in Indianapolis here over the next couple of days. Steph Curry and the Warriors tonight. And then on Saturday... It is the Indy Classic, Ball State at 6-4 and four with Michael Lewis's team on a two-game win streak, taking on Illinois State at 3.30. Then after that, it's the number one team in the land, the Boilermakers of Purdue, taking on Davidson. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, he is in, I believe, his 14th season on staff at Davidson, his first as the head coach. Matt McCullough joins us to talk about 
that particular game. Coach, first off, good morning to you. Appreciate you getting up early with us. Yeah, good morning. Great to be on with you guys. Uh, you sound wide awake. Are you a like a coffee latte guy? What time do you wake up in the morning? Uh, it all depends on my household. I've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and then my wife and I have a, have a three-month-old baby boy. So uh, it's, there's, there's little sleep going on right now. I'm usually having to find my way to be wide awake. Boy, Mark. as a three-month-old three in my house, thoughts and prayers with you. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, Coach, how did this game come about? Obviously, we are used to the Crossroads Classic here in Indiana, Purdue, Butler, Notre Dame for about a decade. And then, you know, it seemed like there was interest from Purdue to maintain some sort of indie presence. Uh, how did you guys come to be? Was the lawyer connection part of the reason that you wanted to schedule this game? That, that had a lot to do with it, yeah. And, um, you know, as you mentioned, I just took over as head coach and uh, recently, and you know, end of June was when I was named head coach. But as an assistant for the last several years, one of my responsibilities was was putting together our non-conference schedule. So we we always do whatever we can to find power five teams, top twenty-five teams, you know, the most highly ranked teams we can play to compete against. And it's it's challenging for us to find teams that will play us, you know, on a on a home court at our place. Um, usually they want to play only a game, uh, you know, a money game on, on their home court. And I reached out to somebody on the, on the Purdue staff, you know, sometimes sometime early last basketball season and, and mentioned that, hey, with, with Foster Lawyer here and Fletcher Lawyer there, is this, is this something that could be of interest to you guys? And then a couple weeks later, I got a, I got a call um, about this event and, um, you know, the Crossroads, the Crossroads Classic coming to an end, but some, some type of similar doubleheader being played and um, Davidson for, versus Purdue being an option. And I think the lawyer piece to it was what was attractive to us, but also attractive to, 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 to them. And um, it, it made sense, and we were excited to be a part of it. Which has caused you uh, to stay awake late at night in the last week with more frequency, having a three-month-old or figuring out what to do against number one Purdue and Zach Eady? I would say my three-month-old is pretty tame compared to what Zach Eady is currently doing on the court um, across the college basketball world. Uh, He's terrific. Um, You know, we... Uh, when my my first year actually on staff at Davidson, we played Purdue in Indy, and um, we had Steph Curry, and they had jo- Jawan Johnson, Etwan Moore, Robbie Hummel, Chris Kramer. Um, they were really good, and I was tasked with being a you know one of the coaches doing a scout, and and right away I, I my eyes were open to the kind of type of coach that Matt Painter is, and the way he can get his team to play, the the style of their offense, and just how challenging it is to guard. We, we played them again a few years ago down in the Charleston classic as well so um, no surprise that coach painter has been able to take a freshman backcourt put them together with a, a, a i say developing only because he's, his production last year was you know minimal if you will compared to what he's doing right now but no, no surprise at all that coach painter has figured out a way to make this team the best team in the country Coach, I wanted you to give kind of a perspective for people listening. Matt McCullough is our guest, the head coach at Davidson. Uh, you were an assistant, as you mentioned, when Steph Curry was there. And, you know, there are people listening right now that might have a young person in the household that's that's an aspiring athlete, or maybe young people are listening. Steph Curry was the son of an NBA player, but he was probably thought coming out of high school to be a little bit undersized. And there probably would have been a lot of motivation in him to say, you know, why am I not at one of the big power fives? I mean, that is no disrespect to Davidson, but just based on his pedigree, what did you see out of him in terms of his work ethic or preparation to get him to the point where he is now that could be a lesson for young people? So I, 
what I'll first I'll preface with this is I just stayed out of his way. He was that exceptional. And I was only on staff for his last year at Davidson. So I was not necessarily a part of the recruiting process. I was actually on the Davidson team when he visited um, as, as, a, as a member of the team. Um, but what, what I saw the one year I was on staff with him, I'm sorry, the one year I was on staff and he was on the team was um, he had an, an unbelievable daily approach and it was regimented and he took it seriously and it, it wasn't just rolling the ball out and get a few shots up like he had he was intentional about what he did when he stepped on the court every day as a, as a 20 20 21 year old um but what what sets him apart now which is who he also was as a college player which i imagine he did as a high school an aau player was he had this mental capacity to live in the moment unlike anybody you'll ever see um he could make a mistake and it would not affect his next possession he could miss a shot he could turn the ball over he could get beat defensively but he was able to perform that next possession as if it was the first possession as if he was you know starting from scratch um and and you know it's it's so it sounds so simple it sounds so easy but that that is a challenge that i deal with that our players deal with that you you want to be able to give them like this magic potion that they can they can drink and all of a sudden be able to perform like that but but he has an unbelievable ability to live in the moment to play in the moment and to not let anything affect him again it's gonna be dave sorry about that coach it's gonna be davidson and purdue coming up saturday evening over at gamebridge Fieldhouse. um i want to go back to something that you mentioned earlier just about facing purdue how do you replicate zach Eady in practice I, I'm like, you know, picturing scenes from the movie of like, yeah, here's our tallest head coach with a broom and, you know. Like it, Ollie getting on the shoulders, right? Sure, yeah. Like, I, I'm picturing a little bit of that. Can you and how do you simulate, you know, what is probably the most unique matchup in college basketball? Yeah, it's <clears> – what <throat> I, I would say, and, and I'll, I'll put it this way. So, we're in exams right now. So, we, we played last Wednesday. We had a few off days. We practiced over the weekend. We, had, we were off the last two days. Now, we're going to be – full boat into practice preparation for Purdue. And we treated our previous practices less about our next opponent. It was more about us and what we needed to do to get better with a little sprinkle in in a few subtle things about Purdue in there without our players maybe realizing it because we were really working on ourselves. But um, in my opinion, it's more about when he catches the ball, there's so little that you can actually do when he catches it in the right spot. So it, it, you don't really need a seven foot four person on the court necessarily. It's it's more about keeping keeping everybody who could possibly be close to that size on our team or on our scout team away from certain spots on the court and making things difficult for them. Um, I don't think anybody in the country can replicate it. And we do have a really tall freshman, and by really tall, he's going to be dwarfed by Zach Eady, um, who we're, we're thinking, hey, should we put him on scout team? And he's not someone you'd want on scout team. We want him playing, getting reps because he's going to he's going to contribute minutes as he has in almost every game this year but um but yeah we're probably going to have one of our assistant coaches who's maybe five five eleven six foot tall but he's he's got some strength and some size to maybe play post position he'll replicate him as best he can um because it's the best it's the best option we have on our team and i know it's going to feel quite a bit different when we go for the jump ball on on saturday but um but yeah i, I think the question you ask is what everybody will struggle with as they go through the year and they prepare for Purdue. How can you how can you replicate that? And, and I don't think you can. All right, New Zealand, Switzerland, Italy, Iceland. It's a hell of an international recruiting budget here um, for the Davidson roster. I assume that's a pretty conscious effort. You guys strike me as a very intelligent school. I don't think it's a very big school, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I assume there's a conscious effort in trying to get some international flavor. Yeah, so like you mentioned, we're not a very big school. We have 2,000 students. We're all undergraduate. It's it's a residential campus, so it's pretty unique in the landscape of Division One college athletics. Um, 
And it's, it's a rigorous academic school. So it's challenging. It's, um, you know, we like to compare ourselves to the Ivy League schools in terms of the reputation our degree has and the, the quality of the students that we have to recruit. And um, for, for years, when my father, Bob McKillop, who was the previous head coach, was, was trying to build the program, um, and he was used to head coach for 33 years. So he, he figured out ways to try to find players anywhere and everywhere that would one be interested in coming to Davidson, but two would have the academic credentials to not only get into Davidson, but to, 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 to thrive once they got here. So he, uh, you know, was uncovering every stone and turning over every stone to try to find those, those prospects. And we, we found ourselves going to Europe and looking internationally quite a bit. And um, it's, it's been great for us. And last year we started three international players. We've had two players of the year in the last four years that were one was from Iceland, one was from Austria in the, in the, in the Atlantic 10. So um, I believe that international players have a familiarity of Davidson because of Stephen Curry. And when they look a little closer in the recruiting process, they see some other people who've paved that same path and made the decision to go across the, the ocean to have a basketball career. And they've seen other international players succeed at Davidson and, 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 and perform well and, and be productive. And I think they, they're attracted to that so it's something i believe we're going to continue to do coach i wanted to to touch on this as well to kind of bring an indiana tie into this when you talk about international you know obviously this was not a recruiting trip but rather a trip for the growth of your young men uh and perhaps for all of you that partook in it back in 2018 if i'm not mistaken eva core who was an indiana native well, not an Indiana native, but an Indiana resident, obviously, yeah. um, who was Romanian and was in Auschwitz as a young girl, along with her twin sister, and survived it, survived the Holocaust, and then became essentially the face of educating people about the Holocaust, uh, took your basketball team or accompanied your basketball team in 2018 uh, to what had to be an incredibly powerful journey. Can you talk about that trip that you were on as an assistant what it meant for your players and just how it all came together and what you left there what came with you from that yeah i'll I'll do my best because it was it was a moving emotional um trip and and i you know it's 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 tough to say it's a great experience because you go and you see such atrocity um when, when you when you walk around auschwitz um and, and funny, funny enough, uh, right before getting on this call, um, I got an email from from Alex Core, who's who's Eva's son. And I'm not sure if you're aware, but Eva's Eva's husband uh, is, I think he's a Purdue. He, he unfortunately passed away last year, but but he's he's a crazy Boilermaker fan. Correct. Um, and uh, so okay, so you're you're familiar with everything there. But um, but I got an email from Alex. I know he's going to be at the game, and he's become a really good friend of mine and, and our programs. Um, the trip came about, you know, in some some kind of unique ways. We have a Davidson alum who's on the board of a of an organization that's a Holocaust remembrance organization, and they were trying to put together a trip for a, a, a younger group. So, because you know, as every year goes by, there's less and less Holocaust survivors, unfortunately, and there's this fear that the Holocaust memories may you know drift away. And we want to continue; they want to continue to educate the younger generations about what happened. Um, so that that's how we were able to go over there. And and as you know every college team can take an international trip every four years. And we were able to get, a, I guess, a waiver from the NCAA because we weren't going to play basketball at all. In fact, we were only there for three nights. Um, and uh, it was it was amazing for, for all the ways that you could be touched and you could be moved and you could see resilience from 
people like Eva, who was a child when she was there, um, and she was torn away from her mother, and she showed us that that place and that moment where she saw her mother for the last time, and it was to have her tell our team this and to have such positivity about everything she did and she toured us around. I mean, it was, it was an experience that will, we will all carry with us, I think forever. Um, and we got to spend time with her and she's 80 years old and she's gone through the worst thing in the world. And, you know, she can relate to a 18, 19 year old college basketball player who comes from a completely different background. And it, it just shows you what being positive, what, what working together, what being a part of a, of a group who has, has the will to survive and a will to do something bigger than themselves. It just, I don't know. It's something that you could take with you, you know, forever, I guess. So that's maybe my best answer. And I don't know, I can ever do justice to an answer like that because um, what we saw was, um, was horrible, but what we got to experience being with Eva was incredible. Well, I think, what an experience. Yeah. And and I think both of the cores, Eva and her husband, you know, certainly I know that Alex's father, Eva's husband was, was indeed a huge Purdue fan, uh, a big fan of Matt Painter, uh, and John Wooden, for that matter, who had played at Purdue. Uh, but I got a feeling, Coach, they're going to be watching this game from above and probably rooting for both teams, right, as a result of that, because that's an experience and a bond that uh, I think is very special, and there's a lot of respect there, I, I think. So, um, you know, I'm glad you guys were able to make that trip with them. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm thankful you brought it up. That was that was a, 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 I guess a great memory, despite the word great not being a great characteristic for what we saw, but um, but, I, but I appreciate you bringing, bringing up our our relationship with that family because they're special. He is Matt McKillop. Again, the Davidson Wildcats coming to Indianapolis this Saturday, approximately about 6.15 tip Purdue and Davidson after Illinois State and Ball State over at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Coach, I think it's a fun matchup. Obviously, a unique angle with the Lawyer brothers watching uh, Foster this year and Fletcher. Both of them have been extremely impressive in their own right. And certainly um, that family's got to be pretty proud of how both of those guys have played this yeah. season. So safe travels up here to Indy, and uh, good luck. Well, thanks so much, guys. Appreciate you having me on. It's the 9 o'clock hour in Indianapolis. For that matter, technically speaking, it's the 9 o'clock hour everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone. It's Kevin and Query here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Joining us now on the Payless Liggers Hotline, he is the television voice of the Indiana Pacers. They will be taking on... The Golden State Warriors tonight out at the Fieldhouse. And Chris Denary, the first question that I would have for you, do you believe that tonight you will be calling the name of Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, or Draymond Green in terms of on the court, whether or not they'll be playing? Well, it'll be interesting. You're right. It's second night of a back-to-back. They lost in Milwaukee last night. Uh, Clay Thompson has not played in back-to-backs this year, so he would be the one guy that I would think they might hold out. Now, you know, the game got away from them pretty early, um, so it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I I would probably think, I mean, just based on looking at the track record of the year, there's going to be somebody that doesn't play, but I'm not sure that they sit all three. Um, It'll just, you know, we'll know more. There's no shoot-around for Golden State. Uh, We'll know something maybe later this afternoon, but... There were some indications last night that uh, they would play, so we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, it almost seemed like the blowout last night, for fans that want to watch Steph Curry, uh, that was probably a good thing for tonight, Chris. I'd almost rank them in the order of most likely to least likely, Draymond, Steph, Clay Thompson. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I think Clay coming back... You know, um, you know, from the injury, even though he played last year, he played 32 games and they won a title. 
Um, you know, he had two major injuries in back-to-back years, so they've really tried to manage that. So I would agree with you. I think, the, you know, just based on what I've watched this year and how they've done that, I, I would think the least likely to play would be Clay Thompson in the second out of a back-to-back. They're, they're on a long road trip um, uh, that started last night. They're in Philadelphia Friday, Toronto Sunday. And then they have a back-to-back next week uh, in New York against the Knicks in Brooklyn. So, uh, like the Pacers faced, uh, you know, over a week ago with that seven-game road trip, uh, this is a, a six-gamer for Golden State right now. And again, we're going to move on, but I know this is honestly it's a big night for a lot of fans around the area. Curious about if Steph's going to play. You said we usually get official word on that late this afternoon because there's no morning shooter out. I'm trying to get people a better idea of like what time we might get official word on that. Well, um, Steve Kerr will meet with the media at 5.30. So, so it, it'll um, be that late? Yeah, I mean, I don't expect to see anything like we saw with Brooklyn on Saturday when I think, that, I think we pretty much knew around noon uh, that none of those guys were going to play. And then, you know, they end up winning the game. Um, so I've looked at it uh, throughout the year this year. I, I think the league has as much parity. I think it has as much balance as we've seen, even though you've seen teams like Boston and Milwaukee, you know, have really good records in the East. There, there's a lot of young talent. A lot of these younger teams uh, can contend every night. So we'll just have to wait and see. Chris Denary is our guest. He's the television voice of the Indiana Pacers. Let's talk about the team of which that you have been calling their games, Chris, and the Pacers. Kind of been ebb and flows, right? I think we expected this. Are we starting to see now a little bit more of a realistic representation of the youth than what we saw in the beginning of the year? And by that, I mean you just kind of don't know from one night to the next you know, where it's going to come from. Does that make sense? Yeah, you've had some guys that are definitely up and down. I mean, I think, you know, Tyrese Halliburton has been super consistent all year long. And then, you know, Saturday night he goes for 35 and uh, goes 12 of 15 from the field and 7 of 8 from 3. And then a game on Monday that I don't think anybody saw where he didn't have a field goal and, and scored one point on a technical free throw. So he's been very, very consistent. There have been a lot of the other young guys that will go – you know, three or four games really well with double figures and a, a good rebound effort, and then maybe go three uh, where they don't play so well. Um, I, I thought the game on Monday night was one of those typical Heat Pacers games. It really doesn't matter who's in the uniforms. They tend to play like that. And I thought down the stretch it was the Miami veterans, um, to your point, Jake, that sort of took over. Kyle Lowry hit a big shot, and then Jimmy Butler went on a 7 nothing run uh, to sort of put the game away for Miami. And I just thought that their veterans um, who had been there, done that, played in Eastern Conference Finals, uh, played in, in, in big situations, they were the ones that made the plays, and the younger Pacers weren't able to do that. Again, Kristen Aries with us, the TV voice from Bally Sports. Going back to Monday night, obviously with how Miami guarded Tyrese Halliburton, you know, the ability to switch Bam Adebayo on him is such a luxury that Miami has. How have you seen Halliburton, you know, been maybe guarded here in recent games? It seems like a ton of length that teams are putting on him, kind of realizing that he is the head of the snake. And if we're able to neutralize him at all, that can really put a stranglehold on Indiana's offense. Yeah, there's no question. I I go back to the Minnesota game uh, a week ago. They had Jaden McDaniels, who's 6'10", 
um, you know, guarding Tyrese. Now, remember, Tyrese, you know, has got good size. He's 6'5 or 6'6 as a point guard. So um, teams have, have tended to put a bigger player on them. And it all is, uh, can be predicated with what their roster looks like and, you know, how they're going to defend other players um, on the floor. Miles Turner, you know, are you going to put Bam Adebayo out there? And, and they do, Miami does, because they do a lot of switching. They'll, they'll switch one through five. And Adebayo is that rare player at the five position that can really guard one through five. So uh, you have seen a lot of teams, uh, you know, put a lot of size on Halliburton. And, and to, to the most part, it's it's not been as effective maybe as they would hope because Tyrese is averaging 20 points and almost 11 assists per game. But give Miami a lot of credit, and it was an off night for Tyrese. I mean, he could not get his three-point shot going and, and struggled getting the ball to the basket. But that's a very rare occasion. I mean, I think I can count on one hand, um, you know, the, the games that he has not played well this year, and the Pacers have played 28 of them. So, uh, you know, I think for the better part of 25 games, he, he's been really, really outstanding. Chris, you know that one of my favorite guys in terms of his potential is Isaiah Jackson, but I feel like he's been given plenty of opportunity. He hasn't played poorly. I'm not saying that. But I kind of expected to see a little bit more out of him in terms of development or next step so far this season than what I've seen, which has been fine, but just not necessarily a huge step just yet. Am I being too harsh? Well, I think, you know, when you're 20 years old and you're in your second year, I mean, you're going to take some steps forward and some steps backwards. He did not play um, on Monday. And and part of that was, you know, Miami starts two smaller forwards and Jimmy Butler and and, and Martin. So it was real hard, um, you know, for Jalen Smith not to start. And then with Jalen Smith coming off the bench, he got the majority of the backup post minutes. Uh, behind Miles Turner. But if you go back over a week ago in the win at, at at San Francisco against Golden State, Jackson was outstanding. He had 13 points. He had 6 of 10 from the field. He and Nemhard really played well. They had that alley-oop working well. So it's just it's one of those situations I think we all knew at the start of the year as you develop these young players, the core of your franchise moving forward, you are going to have some highs and you're going to have some lows. And um, that's to be expected. Um, he's a guy that I think you know will continue to get minutes, um, you know, based on matchups. But he's going to continue to get minutes, and I, I expect a guy like him to bounce back. Kristen Aries with us, TV voice on Bally of the Indiana Pacers again tonight. It's a seven o'clock tip between the Pacers and the Warriors. I thought Rick Carlisle had an interesting comment yesterday, Chris, about Andrew Nemhard. I thought it was a great question of you know the last time you've trusted a rookie this much on the defensive end of the floor um, and he brought up a name that you know obviously isn't really thought of in high regard here in Indiana uh, but he brought up Tayshawn Prince and you look at the assignments that Andrew Nemhard has drawn over the last couple of weeks I mean it was Jimmy Butler on Monday um, for long stretches it was Steph Curry last week or Damian Lillard or even LeBron it's you know Basically, whoever is the other team's best player, not necessarily like body type, size, speed. They just trust Nemhard that much. And I think that's such an important piece the Pacers have lacked of a guy that they really trust to be kind of the lead defender in recent years. If Nemhard can become that 
for the Pacers, I think that is vital for a team that has definitely struggled over the years on that end of the floor. Yeah, there's no question. And I, I think one of the other guys, too, is Neesmith. I think Aaron Neesmith is a good defender. He's athletic. And it, it, gives some, it gives the Pacers some wing assets out there to defend on the ball. And, you know, you'll hear coaches talk about as much as it's team defense, it really starts with you guarding your yard or guarding your man. And a lot of times that's unfortunately where the Pacers have breakdowns is not taking care of your assignment out on the perimeter. And that puts a lot of pressure at the rim on Miles Turner, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith. So, yes, to have guys like Nemhard, who has accepted that role. He's, he's sneaky defensively. Um, you know, he's good for at least a charge, maybe two charges per game. He's, he seems to always be in the right position, whether he's guarding off the ball or on the ball. So, absolutely, he, um, I think a lot of people knew he was a good player coming out of Gonzaga. I'm not sure anybody thought that he would make the contributions this early. But he's been really, really good for the Pacers here uh, through the first third of the season. Could Aaron Neesmith develop into, Chris, an elite enough defensive player that he becomes a permanent rotation guy in the future despite if he does not take big steps offensively? Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at him, I just made this note. In his last three games, he's 7 of 11 from 3. And, and he has shot the ball with great confidence. Uh, over the last week, and his three-point shooting's up to 37% on the year. He's averaging about eight points per game. So, you know, I, I don't know if he's a guy that is a, you know, 12 to 15-point scorer, but to your point, uh, Jake, if you can be a solid defender, if you can, uh, you know, contribute off the bench or or even in a starting role and and contribute somewhere around 10 points per game, but you are a lockdown defender, then there's absolutely – uh, a role for you in the rotation uh, with this Pacers team. Okay, Chris Tenari with us here. It'll be him, Quinn, and JJ. Coverage begins at 6.30, tip at 7 o'clock tonight for the Pacers. Can you fill us in a little bit on the latest with Chris Duarte? It looks like a G League assignment for him. Yeah, I think that that was the good news the other day that Rick talked about on Monday. He practiced with the Fort Wayne Mad Ants, and that's, that's really one of the advantages with the Mad Ants housed. Um, in the uh, Pacers uh, practice facility and then, you know, playing some games in Indianapolis and then, you know, some games in Fort Wayne. But he will play two games uh, this week uh, against Wisconsin uh, tonight and Friday, um, and they'll assess that. But it's to get him some game action. Guys, Friday or make it Sunday against the Knicks will end a stretch of 19 games in 33 days. The Pacers will have not had multiple days off between games for over a month, and multiple times they've played back-to-back games. And what does that tell you? They haven't had a lot of practice time. And, and so those are the things that Chris Duarte needs is legitimate practice time where guys are really going up and down. But as Rick Carlisle said on Monday, we can't stimulate game conditions either. So that's why tonight and Friday are very important for Torte to get back into a game situation. And then maybe he would be available on Sunday afternoon when the Knicks are at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Chris, there are four teams left in men's college basketball, if I'm not mistaken, this season that are still undefeated. Uh, do you think Quinn Buckner could name all four? 
that's a great question. I remember a few years ago when uh, Andrew Nemhard and Gonzaga were getting very, very close and playing in the national championship game at uh, Lucas Oil Stadium. That was only one. Uh, but he's got that team up in West Lafayette uh, that's uh, unbeaten. Um, he he probably knows. There's no question. He probably knows. And for those that are curious why I'd ask, Quinn Buckner, of course, on the 76 Indiana team that was the last unbeaten in college basketball history at 32-0. and Purdue, UNLV, Mississippi State, and New Mexico are the four. I believe that's the last four. Virginia, right? Uh, Virginia lost, didn't they? Is Virginia unbeaten? I thought they were still undefeated. If okay, it gets ugly tonight fine. one way or the other, Chris, you got to put his feet to the fire and test him on that one. Uh, Virginia, you're right. Virginia's 8-0, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, you got to yeah. test him, Chris. But Purdue, uh, listen, uh, Purdue, who's going to be in your building on Saturday playing, they're not going to go undefeated, but they're pretty darn good. Oh, they're good. I mean, you look at the two freshman guards. I mean, and I'm very proud. Uh, I mean, as a Westfield High School alum, I said this um, a few years ago. I- I'll say this. You know, having been the marketing director at Butler starting in 1989 and to sit in Lucas Oil Stadium and watch Butler play for the national championship game sort of blew my mind, right? I would say last year, having, you know, gone to high school in Westfield, to know that there's a Mr. Basketball <laughs> from Westfield High School, uh, sort of a mind blower. But uh, Braden Smith's been outstanding. I mean, Matt Painter and his staff, they do such a great job up in West Lafayette. It's it's been fun to watch them. I mean, think about what they accomplished last year. Uh, they had a, uh, a top five pick in the NBA draft in, in Jaden Ivey, and they have not missed a beat this year. Yeah, extremely impressive to get back to number one. Um, all right, Chris, I know a lot of people will be watching tonight. Certainly plugged in a little bit later to get the latest on Golden State's availability for this one. Pacers-Warriors tonight at 7 before they're off to Cleveland. The Pacers will take on the Cavs at 7.30 on Friday. Always appreciate it, Chris. All right, thanks, guys. Have a great morning.